start on the recording. All right. Good. So let's start right at the beginning. And I, the Lord, you know, we've been going in the North Georgia Revival some. Um, I went for the first time and then we also went to another baptism service. So like I've been baptized uh, two times this in this past few months. And so I've been thinking about baptism and I feel like the Lord gave me a real powerful revelation that I want to share with you guys about baptism. Um, and, he, and again, the Lord was ca- talking to me about the cup and baptism. And so those are kind of the two things that this our little Bible study today is going to center around. So go real quick. Matthew three thirteen. Matthew three thirteen. Hallelujah. Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? And then Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for all of us, for uh, thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And a lot of times we think of baptism being associated with the washing away of our sin, right? And cleansing. But equally, baptism is associated with this idea of death. When you baptize someone, many times what they said to me in my Baptist church I grew up in when I was about 13 year old, they said, we baptize you into the death of Jesus Christ and we raise you again in newness of life, right? Hallelujah. And I just want to propose this idea that perhaps at the inception of Jesus's ministry, he was modeling for us not just the cleansing of sin, but his actual commitment to the idea of death. What if Jesus, when he went in the water, was essentially saying, Father, I'm committed to go into the tomb, right? I'm actually, I'm starting my ministry, committing to the cross and to the burial and to the resurrection. Doesn't that make sense if that's true, right? And I recognize I'm reading that into this, but I don't think it's a leap, right? Because that's what scripture teaches that baptism is all about. It's about us entering into the death of Christ and into his, into his newness of life. What if when Jesus did this baptism, he was saying, for me to fulfill all righteousness, what I have to do is be willing to go to the cross and go into the tomb. Doesn't it make sense then that the thunderous voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, would be affirming his commitment to his path of suffering. It wasn't just a light and fluffy commitment of, hey, son, I just want you to know how much I love you and I'm your happy daddy, right? Nothing wrong with using that verse as a verse to affirm our own hearts. But what if it was actually an affirmation of Jesus's commitment to die? And so if you consider that, this act of baptism becomes a really powerful symbol of what Jesus was committing to do in his ministry. It's actually a commitment to suffering from the beginning. And then that would also make sense because then he's driven into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days, right? And he's tempted by the devil. And we know the devil doesn't return to him to tempt him again until Gethsemane, right? So now go with me to Matthew 16. Let's see, is that right? No, I'm, I'm actually going to skip ahead and just talk about uh, the cup. So that's the baptism. Let's talk about the cup for a moment. Matthew 26. This is where Jesus is on the night he's betrayed and he offers the, the Passover 
feast has been completed. He is the fulfillment of that feast. And he's taking them through the various cups in the Jewish tradition. And scholars will actually say that they believe the communion cup may have been, there's one cup that represents suffering in the Passover feast. And that Jesus actually took the cup of suffering and said, this is my blood of my new covenant. This is my body. And he took the bread and he broke the bread. Right? And he said, in my broken body and in my shed blood, now you have come into the family of God and your sins are forgiven. And he says this in verse 27, took the cup, gave thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So isn't that a cool idea? Jesus is actually on a fast right now. Like there is a degree to which he is in the fullness of the Father's glory. But there's some things that even Jesus is refraining from and saying, I'm going to restrain. I'm I'm drinking the cup of suffering now. One day I'm going to drink the cup cup of the wedding feast, but I'm not going to drink any other cups in between. I'm paused on the suffering cup, right? You guys are going to be suffering as I depart from the earth. And I'm going to, in a certain way, be in that suffering with you. I'm not moving on from the cup of suffering. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until you guys get to drink it in celebration with me in the kingdom of heaven. I'm committed to the full consummation, right? And I know that until that time, there's going to be suffering involved. And so we see Jesus begins with a baptism and he goes to a a cup. And what's very interesting is this idea of the baptism of suffering and death and the cup of suffering occur multiple places in scripture. And Jesus not only commits to take it himself, but he offers it to us as his disciples. Right? He's not just saying, I'm going to be baptized into my death and be raised again. He goes, you, if you want to be my disciple, you have to enter into the the baptism of my death. If you want to be my disciple, be raised again in new life. You have to drink from the cup of suffering. So let's see where he actually says this. So skip with me real quick. Matthew 16, 21. These are the two kind of invitations. Well, we'll go to Matthew 20 first. There's a couple strands of kind of revelation that I, I want to hit on. I'm having trouble choosing, but if you look at Matthew 20, verse 17, isn't the Bible amazing? Now, Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Is everybody there? Sorry. Matthew 20, verse 17. Love hearing that rice paper flipping. It's a good sound. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock and scourge him and crucify him. And on the third day he will rise again. That's pretty descriptive, right? Pretty specific. Pretty literal. And I do not think they got it at all. They did not get the implications of what Jesus was talking about. How do we know this? Because in the very next verse, James and John are conspiring with their mother to take the thrones to the right and the left in Jesus' messianic kingdom. They are under the impression that a military takeover is coming and they want to be first and second in command. Right? And Jesus is going, I'm trying to prepare you. There's a road of affliction and suffering. It's it's not just all wealth, health, and... Everything else, right? There's actually a path to suffering that you're being invited to. And I want you to say yes to it. I'm committed to saying yes to it. 
and they don't yet get the message. It's powerful to see the transformation because eventually they will. Um, and so the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, and her son's kneeling down, asking something from him, and he said to her, what do you wish? Jesus is so kind, isn't he? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. And I imagine them standing at the back like, <laughs> we know he'll say yes to mom. He loves mom. <laughs> How kind Jesus must have been for them to have that kind of boldness, right? And, she, and Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. So here's the qualifiers. Jesus immediately goes to the qualifiers for leadership in his kingdom, okay? You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? There's a cup. And there's a baptism. And it's all about suffering and death. And here's what they said to him. Get this. This is like what we do. We totally do this. We will do this today. and We don't even know it. But it's just the kindness of God. What do they say? Oh, we're able. (laughs) We're able. Yeah, we're able. And he goes, I know that you're not able. But I will prepare you in my grace. Because apart from me, you're definitely not able. You are not able at all. The fact that you think you're able means you don't understand what the baptism or the cup is. Even though I just told you exactly what it is. It's, it's I'm going to be scourged, crucified, buried. I'm going to die, right? And he goes, that's going to qualify me to receive the name above every other name. And they go, we want to be first and second in command. Come on, mom, go ask him. And Jesus goes, okay, you want to be first and second? Can you drink my cup? Can you receive my baptism? Right? And he goes, sure. And Jesus said to him, This is what's mind-blowing, is he goes, you will indeed drink my cup. James is the first one to be martyred, right? You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. You are going to enter into my death. But to sit on my right hand on my left hand is not mine to give, but it's for those whom it's prepared by my father, potentially saints in this room. I don't know. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. And this is not just a good leadership principle. This is a, hey, this is what it means to enter the kingdom principle. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Right? But what's crazy is he doesn't just stop there with the message that you have to be a servant to be a leader, right? He goes, you have to be a servant. Oh, and also give his life as a ransom for many. You have to serve to the point of death, right? If you want to sit on the right hand and the left, you have to be baptized. But that's why I like submersion is it implies the complete... The complete burial of of our old man, our old appetites, our old desires. We have completely given up to Jesus any claim that we have on our own lives. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's definitely what it means for us to answer the call of God on our lives. We have to. And this is beautiful. Jesus does the baptism. He he drinks the cup. And then he offers it to us. Like... Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. And what's the one thing he tells you to do if you're a disciple? Baptize. 
baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's the one thing he tells them to remember to do? Take my broken body and my blood and drink the cup of suffering. Amen. You better teach. So submerge yourself into my death and experience my newness of life and enter into the new covenant. But the new covenant only comes by death. Right? And in this, Jesus is going, I'm discipling you into what it means to suffer for my name's sake. Now let's look specifically at Peter. This is kind of fun. Matthew 16. I love Peter's zeal. Don't you love Peter's zeal? Doesn't it encourage you? I like this because back to back, Peter gets one right, he gets one wrong, and then he gets one really wrong. Okay. So Matthew 16, right before this, Jesus says, who do you think I am? He goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. My father in heaven has revealed this to you. It gives him a prophetic promise. I'm going to build my church upon you. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. That's a pretty awesome prophetic word. And I bet Peter went from like, okay, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, yeah, you're the Christ, the son, and I'm your rock. I'm the rock you're going to build your church on. That's right. I'm not a little pebble anymore. I'm the rock. What, what, what's the wrestler, the rock voice that you smell with the, the rock that's cooking? Yeah, that's Peter right here. Okay. Yet a few verses later, Jesus then begins to go, okay. And let me kind of give you the blueprint of how we're going to build the church. Right? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. This is verse 21. Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. Be killed and be raised on the third day. So he goes, I'm, a, I'm the Messiah. I'm the king of Israel. But my path to restoring my kingdom is not like you thought. And he couldn't say it more directly here. Right? And Peter grabs him after having received this revelation from the father. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And so Peter saw, you're the Messiah. He drew his own conclusions from that, maybe even conclusions concerning his own greatness. And when Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die, he understood what Jesus was saying, right? And he said, no, that's, that's not the plan. We're not going to do the plan of the Father, <laughs> right? And Jesus is very clear with him, get behind me, Satan. So a minute before, I feel sympathy for Peter. I feel like this is what I'm like. He's like, you are receiving revelation from the Father, Peter. Peter's like, yes, I am. And then it's like pride goes before a fall, right? Satan is the son of pride. And in that pride, all of a sudden it's like, okay, then it's like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Okay, so we want to get our revelation from the Father. If nothing else from this lesson, let's get our revelation from the Father, not from Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And then Jesus says to his disciples, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? I want to pause there on that for a moment. Literally, the homeless person who in his brokenness says yes to Jesus sincerely and is born again and then dies the next day, that person is more blessed than Bill Gates or any celebrity or any other person in this earth who has a life of comfort and riches, but dies in his transgression, right? And that's why we have to get a revelation of both the mercy and grace of God and, and the weight of eternity, right? And sometimes, you know, and, and, and David says this in the Psalms. He said, I, I went into the houses of the wicked and I saw them flourishing like, 
these these vines that the proud and the 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 um the evil that they were prospering in the earth but then i went into the presence of the lord and i saw their end right and so what jesus is teaching them is it's way it is way better for you to be the person who serves the lord faithfully and suffering and affliction and never gets the accolades never gets the money never gets the comfort never gets the opportunity never gets the reputation Guess what happens if somebody truly begins to follow? How many of you know Justin Bieber's been putting some stuff out on Twitter about like him trying to follow Jesus, right? How many of you know that if he really tries to do that, he's going to lose a lot of fans and a lot of money, right? He's, there's going to be some people that applaud him, and there's going to be some genuine suffering from people that are going to oppose him. But it's better for him to lose all of his money and all of his fans and gain his soul than to have the whole world and live lukewarm and have Jesus spew him out of his mouth, Right? We pray that we pray for Justin that someone in his life would would speak that to him, and that he would understand what it means that God wants us to be full in to Him, and that's the only way to be a Christian, right? And there's so much lukewarmness in our culture around us, we forget yeah. that that really it's the only way to be a true Christian. Um, so what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his glory and his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. Accordingly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he, he makes this promise to his disciples. Like, you are going to see, he goes, Peter, you may not understand this, but I'm, I'm the Son of God. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. But ultimately, what you're wanting for, the, the restoration of the Messianic kingdom, it will occur. But guess who gets to participate in that kingdom? Only those who deny themselves and lay down their lives to follow him, right? And that is, that is the call of Christianity. That is the call from the very first. When we become Christians, we enter into the death of Christ, right? When we remember Christ, we eat his flesh and drink his blood and in doing so find life. So we have to commit to the cup and to the baptism. So I feel like actually Peter kind of learns his lesson because if you fast forward with me back to Jesus, he's just given us the cup and the bread in Matthew 26. And we're going to see the enthusiasm of Peter yet again. Jesus says, this is my body and my blood shed for you. And then he explains, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. This is Matthew 26, verse 31. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And I love the kindness of Jesus. He's giving it to them again, very specifically, very factually, point by point. This is what's going to happen in order to prepare them. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That's good, Peter. That's good. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You're not just going to stumble once. You're going to fail three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And I love this because it shows the progression in Peter's heart. He goes from sticking his chest out saying, Jesus, you'll never die. This is never going to happen to you. He gets rebuked. Jesus says, if you want to follow me at all, all of you have to die. Like, not just me. You're going to die. We're going to die together. Because if you seek to save your life, then you'll lose it for eternity. But if you lose your life for my sake, we're going to enter into the glory of my Father's kingdom. Peter gets that lesson, and then Jesus goes, you guys are all going to fall away. And he goes, not me, I've learned my lesson. I'll die with you, Lord. And that's a lot like us today. We've maybe heard this message before. We've maybe said yes to the foreign mission field. We've maybe said yes to hard places where we could get sick, where our family members could get sick. 
where whatever obedience is required of us, we've said yes to it, but we don't really know what it's going to be like when the rooster crows, right? We don't really know what it's going to be like when the moment comes. And this is where we take comfort and where I take comfort. God spoke to me and said, hey, there's going to be moments of testing coming towards you. And when they, when they start to occur, Jesus said to Peter, he goes, but don't worry, Peter, because I've prayed for you that you would turn back and strengthen your brethren. And so let's see the final bit of, we have to actually go to John's gospel to see the conclusion of Peter's story. But he actually does, by the end of his journey, it says later that he does deny Christ. He goes out and weeps bitterly. But we see in John, and you all have probably heard teachings on this before, Jesus asks him three different times, do you love me, Peter? To mirror the three times that that Peter betrayed him, he asks him three times, do you love me? And every time Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And this last time, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter's grieved because he said it to him a third time. So Peter's remembered, remembering his betrayal. And he's going, does the Lord not believe that I love him? And he says, Lord, you know all things. Peter's learned that by now, hasn't he? You know everything. And you know that I love you. You know that my love for you is real. And at this point, Jesus has made of Peter a kind of impetuous person looking for self-promotion. Then the guy who in pride says, everybody else will fall away, but I won't. And he's been completely humbled and broken. And in that humiliation and brokenness, he's begun to taste the cup. He's begun to enter into the baptism. And Jesus says to him, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. Isn't that the picture of Peter's life? Like he's a foul mouthed fisherman, but in his zeal, he leaves his nets and goes to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I'll make you fisher of men, right? He gets revelation on the journey of who Jesus is. He commits his life to him. He's following him zealously. And he comes to the juncture where he has the opportunity to stand with Christ. Instead, he falls asleep in the garden. Instead, he, instead he denies him three times in his greatest moment of need, denies his best friend three times. But out of the brokenness of all that, he's seen resurrection life in Jesus. And he's come to this moment. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, along this journey, when you were younger, you walked where you wanted. You went where you wanted. But can I tell you, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this is what he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would bring glory to God. And we know Peter was actually crucified in the same manner as Jesus, but upside down. And Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that was a request that he made because he deemed himself unworthy to die in like manner of Jesus. And I love the power of this. And when he'd spoken this, he said to Jesus, but Jesus said to Peter, excuse me. He said to Peter, follow me, follow me. It's the very same thing he said to him when he first called him. Peter's gone on this incredible journey from a man who is filled with pride and self-confidence to one who is broken and willing to say yes to the purpose of God and to be girded and led where he doesn't want to go, but he'll go there willingly. Last verse I'll leave you with. If you go back again to the key scripture we've been in, Matthew 26, you don't need to necessarily flip there. But I think it's interesting, again, this idea of the cup and the baptism. Matthew 26. Jesus is praying in the garden, verse 38. He said to him, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. 
And he, he went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let's pray. Jesus, we see you. We see you in your word. We see that you took the baptism and you knew exactly what it meant. We see that you took the cup and you knew exactly what it meant. And you did it for us to set an example for us of what it means to deny ourselves and to follow you. And you offered your disciples the cup and the baptism. You said to James and John, you'll drink the cup that I drink and you'll be baptized with the baptism that I received. Lord, we desire when you offer us the cup, when you offer us the baptism of suffering, crucifixion and death, we desire to say yes, that we would gain eternal life, that we would be faithful to you, that we would be mature disciples like Peter. That we would have glory in the age to come. I pray for each of us that we would have grace to count the cost. And though we may not know what it means to say yes, that we would say yes from a sincere heart as best we know how. Yes to what yes to our lives belong completely to you, Jesus. Yes, like Paul said, yes, I count it all loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. To fellowship in his sufferings, that I might partake of his resurrection and glory. Give us the revelation of what it means to take joy in suffering because it makes us mature. And Lord, for any person in this house for whom there is appointed seasons of suffering, we humble ourselves and say, no, Lord, we, we would deny you apart from your grace and your prayers and your help. Lord, we say yes, but we recognize we don't even know what it means to say yes to this, Lord. And we say, Lord, in those moments of testing and trial, by your grace, help us keep our feet from stumbling, Lord. And help you us to sincerely give you our all, Lord. We want to give it all to you, Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.